Father God, you are the one and the only holy, almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. We worship you today and we, we bow before you. We acknowledge and affirm you in all of your majesty and all of your holiness. And we're blown away by the invitation that you being so holy and us being so broken and misguided and rebellious and disobedient and sinful, that you invite us into a relationship with yourself and you invite us to worship you today. We pray that as we do that, God, you would be honored and pleased. We thank you for the opportunity and we pray that you would continue to guide us through the rest of our time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have your seats if you're here in the auditorium this morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to all of you on joining us online as well. Um, just before we get to uh, our time in the Word today, I just wanted to take a, a minute and kind of reinforce something that we have been sharing with you uh, at the beginning of the service. We know how sometimes it goes, getting ready, getting here, getting in here on time, or you're having a conversation with someone, and sometimes you miss that, uh, those things that happen at the very beginning, and we've been sharing this information with you uh, each week, but I just want to reinforce uh, that we really desperately want to stay connected with you and have you communicate with us. Um, in full transparency, we receive uh, these days maybe one-tenth, maybe less than that, of the prayer requests that we typically received pre-COVID. And we know that's not because there are less needs. And we recognize that it's a little bit different. It's not a book that's passing in front of you and you're grabbing it and you're, you're adding a prayer request there. But there is an upside. You know, if you have a prayer request on Tuesday at 11 o'clock and you're sitting there in your office and you're like, oh, I, I want to text the church and have them pray. So please make sure that you get that number in your phone. Please make sure to share those prayer requests with us. We desperately, we are praying in general for our church family, for our community, for things associated with everything that we're going on. But we want to pray specifically for those things that you share with us. If you forget this number, all you got to do is go to our, our website, cbcjoy.org, out on the landing page, on the home page. All this information is there. We want to make it very simple, but we want to stay connected with you. So note all those keywords, note the number, and please continue to stay in touch with us, okay? We want to stay in touch with you and pray with you and for you for the things that are specifically going on in the life, in your life, in the life of your family, at your workplace, in your neighborhoods, at your schools, and everything else, okay? So we just, I just want to uh, strongly encourage you to do that. Um, as, we, as we get ready to go into God's Word this morning, uh, if you've been joining us online or here in the auditorium, you know that we've been uh, working our way through the Gospel of John, and we found ourselves last week at the beginning of chapter 5. In the beginning of chapter 5, John writes that after these things, these things are, he's referring to everything that had happened uh, both in Samaria and Galilee, uh, Jesus had left Judea in chapter 4. At the, at the beginning of chapter 4, we learned that Jesus had left Judea. He was headed to Galilee, but on his way to Galilee, he had this encounter in Samaria uh, with a woman, and there was a lot of fallout from that, and he spent, actually spent some time there, a very revolutionary thing for him to spend two days there uh, reaching out, and many Samaritans uh, believed in him. So ultimately, he, he, he finally did get get back to Galilee, and we, at the end of uh, chapter 4, he, he heals the, the royal official's son, 
And uh, we learned that that was one of the signs, again, that he had done uh, specifically in that region. So after all of that had taken place, and uh, there was some, and in some translations it'll say after some time had passed. So we're not sure how long, but Jesus then uh, went up to a feast. Not sure which feast it was, but he went up to the feast in Jerusalem. And, they, and, and in, the, in the context of what, we're, what we find in chapter 5, John tells us that, that there's, this, there's this pool, in, which in, in Hebrew is called Bethesda. Uh, I, t- I told you that most likely the uh, contemporary, most scholars, uh, most archaeological scholars believe that it was un- it's underneath uh, a current uh, monastery that is there in Jerusalem right now. Had this uh, pool of Bethesda had these two pools, uh, one separated by one portico or porch, and then surrounded by four others. So it would be an accurate recollection of what John says when he refers to have it having five porticos or five porches. I shared with you last week that when, when that, uh, at that place, it was a very sad picture. Uh, it was a very sad existence that was going there. John tells us that was, there was a, a great number of disabled people that were there. They were lying there. They were blind. They were lame. They were paralyzed. And the, the reason they were there is because legend had it that there would be an angel of the Lord that would come down into the water and unbeknownst to the people laying there, but they would see the water bubble up. The water would be stirred up. And the legend was the first one in after the water was stirred up got the healing. And so they were laying there hoping that hundreds, most likely hundreds of people laying there. And Jesus met one of those uh, persons that, were laying, uh, that was laying there. It was an invalid that, was, that had been that way for 38 years. Not sure how old he was. Uh, again, as I shared last week, 38 years was kind of on the upper end of the life expectancy in the ancient Near East. And so we're not sure how old of a man he was. I know that the picture here uh, shows him as an older man, but he could have been in his, only in his 40s, maybe, maybe his 50s, who knows. But Jesus asked him a very interesting question, right? He asked him something that, that seems rather obvious in verse 6. He says, do you want to get well? And we would say, oh, of course, right? But as, as some you know, scholars and commentators point out, well, the guy had, had, a, had a pretty good existence. At, even though it would, we would have seen that as very sad, it was at least reliable. He was going to be taken care of. And so as he thought about, well, do I want to get well? Well, if, I, if, I, if you make me well, then what, what does that happen? And so he's processing through all of that, maybe thinking about the, the responsibilities he's going to have then if he is made well. And, and, and he isn't quite sure maybe what Jesus is asking because he responds by saying, well, uh, I can't get into the water. Somebody beats me into the water. I don't have anybody to help me into the water when the angel stirs it up. And Jesus instead speaks to him, doesn't correct him, but just says to him, hey, pick up your mat and walk, right? You have been made well, and that's exactly what happens. This man is made well, and then John gives us this little detail that then creates a setting for a lot more controversy. John tells us that it was on that day, it was a Sabbath, and the Jews had very strict and excessive laws about Sabbath observance, about what you could do, what you couldn't do, and in cases of emergencies, what was allowed and what was never allowed and all of that. And so when they saw this guy carrying his mat, that would have been identified as work. And so they said to him, you know, hey, that's unlawful. And because he doesn't want to get in trouble with the, with the leaders, right, with the religious leaders, he says, well, I... Uh, it was the guy who made me well. <laughs> the guy who said to me, you know, pick up my mat and walk. He, he's the one who told me that. He's the one who made me well and told me that. So I'm only doing what he said. And so they kind of inquire as to who this man was. And he says, 
obviously, uh, uh, evidently he didn't know who Jesus was, maybe he never asked his name, maybe he had never seen him before. Not sure, not detail there from John, but he doesn't get the de- detail, or de- doesn't get Jesus' name, and so they kind of kind of breaks off, and then Jesus, according to the story, finds him in the temple. And he says this to him in verse 14. He says, see, you are well. I have made you well physically, right? You're not going back to that status, that place, that place of suffering. But he says to him this, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I've made you well physically, but don't miss out on the big picture of what I want to do in your life spiritually. As I mentioned last week, it seems kind of obvious that this guy just didn't get it. He didn't understand what Jesus was ultimately trying to do for him because what he does is he goes back and says, hey, I know who the guy is now. (laughs) The one who made me well, the one that, that I said to you it was him who told me to do this. He says he went away and he informed the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus. And that word persecuting in its tense, it means actively and continually, perpetually. were start Not just one time and then stop. But they were active and continual in their persecution of Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So when, when, we, when we left the story, we saw, well, this is setting up to be a little bit of a confrontation between Jesus and his, his critics, Jesus and the Jewish leaders of his day. And that's exactly what we're going to get into now as we pick it up in verse 17 and take that then all the way down, verse 23. That's what we're going to cover today as we uh, get into this uh, next phase of Jesus' life. Now, if you remember, one of the things that I, I've tried to make clear about what John is trying to do, you remember the word simeon, which, which we translate in our English Bible, signs. It's, it's, a, it's something that is not done not just to make people marvel. That's a different word. That's the word for wonders. And they're always, those two words are always used together in Scripture, signs and wonders. Wonders is never, never used by itself, okay? But signs are not about mar- causing someone to marvel. It's about establishing someone with, as a unique identity. Like, it's kind of like somebody might say to me, oh, you have your mom's eyes, right? Or you have your dad's chin, or you have, you have the riddle complexion. You know, you know those kind of things. It's like this distinguishing characteristic or feature. And John is building the case that Jesus has the distinguishing characteristic or feature of having the identity of divinity, that he is the Son of God, that he is God himself. And that's exactly what we're going to get into in this next interaction that Jesus has with his critics. So as we do that, if you would, preparing for these next few verses and for what God's going to share with us and challenge us with today, let's commit that time by praying uh, real quickly before I, ju- I dive in, okay? Bow your heads. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for specifically the gospel of John. It's such a powerful work, and, it's, and you've used it throughout the centuries, to draw so many people to yourself. We pray that you would do that today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see Jesus in his, in his identity, in his capacity. And we pray that you would help us to know him better and, and follow him more closely. We pr- I pray, God, for myself that uh, anything that, that I would want to share that is immaterial or 
or doesn't uh, add anything to to the truth of of, of John five, Lord. We just I, I pray you would just uh, go out of my mind. I pray that what I do share, God, would build your your people up, would draw people to yourself through it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. When Jesus sees what's going on here in this interaction, he responds to his critics in verse 17 by saying, my father is still working and I am working also. Which then begins to drive to the very heart of the matter as to why Jesus, in a sense, was ultimately put on, the cro- put on the cross. Why he was ultimately found guilty for this, this religious crime, so to speak. And the heart of the matter was this, and John says it very succinctly. This is a, this is a verse, you know, kind of to mark and to remember. The, the very next verse, John says it very clearly. In the New American Standard Translation, he says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Remember, they were persecuting him. They were trying to kill him. That we're actively and continually, that's what's going on. And now, it's this very reason that they were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, that's bad enough. But also was calling God his own father. And this is the heart of the matter. I've underlined it, not underlined in scripture. Making himself equal with God. In a sense, Jesus is saying, if healing on the Sabbath was sin, then guess what? God the Father is to blame. If healing on the Sabbath is sin, God the Father is to blame. Jesus didn't deny their accusation. He actually endorsed their accusation, right? He actually endorsed it, and he's going to begin to elaborate on it. And the way he begins is using a phrase that's, uh, that's unique to John. He begins in verse 19 by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, some of you know that word that we translate into the English truly there is the, is the word amen. It's actually properly pronounced in, in Hebrew or Greek. It's amen. We pronounce it in English typically, amen, right? And it's a word that is directly, it's, it's interesting. It's such, as, as one scholar says, it is perhaps the most universal word in the human language. It goes from Hebrew to Greek to Latin to English and many other languages without ever changing form. It stays the same. Amen, amen, amen. It's a transliteration. It's not that word is taken and then it's, it's used to, uh, to develop into a, a different word, but instead it's simply transliterated. It's, a, it's literally a, a verbal adjective that means firm. That's what it means, a, a verbal adjective that means firm. And metaphorically, it means faithful. So it came to be used in the ancient world and used today as an adverb by which something is either asserted or confirmed. So at the beginning of a discourse, which is the way it's being used here, at the beginning of a discourse, it could be translated as surely or, or, or verily or truly. Have you, ever, have you ever had somebody say to you this? Believe this. You know when they're saying believe this or know this at the beginning of a discourse? They're saying amen. That's what they're saying. That's, that, that's how we kind of use that form just in everyday language. And I'm sure that you've used that kind of phrase or someone has used that phrase uh, with you. Again, it, it, it actually is very directly related, ironically, to the Hebrew word for believe, which is amam. So amam is, is a very close cousin to amen. 
And this is that word that, that's basically saying, this is firm, this is true. One commentator says it this way. It is as though when Jesus uses this, that he was saying, pay attention to this, know this, believe this. Verily, verily is the way it said. Anybody remember that from the old King James Version, right? Verily, verily. Truly, truly, surely, surely. What I'm about to say is super important, so listen up. This is, this is how Jesus begins the discourse. By the way, next week's passage in verse 24, he's going to use the same thing. And interesting little fact here, only John does it this way. Only John, and he does it 25 times in his gospel, this double amen, amen. That's never used by any of the other gospel writers. Only by John, he does it 25 times. And the repetition of the word, scholars point out, it, which is, again, employed only by John in his gospel, has the force of a superlative. It's almost like he's saying, most assuredly, this is something we dare not miss. That's why I just spent five minutes teaching you about this simple word that you think you know what we, we think we know what it means. The power of what Jesus is about to say to us is identified by this little introductory double superlative of amen, amen. Surely, surely, verily, verily, truly, truly, listen to this, don't miss this, believe this, know this. Got it? Got it out there in, uh, in uh, Never Never Land online? Okay. So this is important stuff. What is it, what is it about? It is Jesus. What, why are they wanting to kill him even more? Because he is going to say, I'm equal with the Father. Don't miss that. Know that. Believe that. Amen, amen. Truly, truly. How is Jesus equal with the Father? Well, here is what John's going to teach us. He's going to say first, his capability. The power or the ability to do something. That's capability, right? Jesus' capacity his ability, his power, it's what he can do, right? It's what he can do, what he has the ability to do. And what is his capability? Well, this is what Jesus says about himself. Verse 19, for whatever the Father does, whatever his capacity is, whatever his capability is, these things the Son also does in the very same way. I am equal with the Father in my capability, what I can do. Goes on in verse 20 to say, For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. It reminds me of a passage in, in Luke uh, chapter 7, where in Luke 7, uh, Jesus receives a message from his relative and from uh, someone that's very dear to him, John the Baptist, who is in prison. John the Baptist sends a message to Jesus through, through a messengers asking, can you please confirm that he really is the one, the long-awaited, anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ? And Jesus sends word back to John in verse 21 of, of Luke chapter 7. And what he says to John is this. He says to the messengers that came and asked him, so in, in verse 21, he says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. 
truly you will be astonished. Jesus is, is saying, you've seen what I've done by, by healing this man who had, who had been paralyzed, an invalid, unable to walk, laying by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. You've seen what I'm able to do there. But he's giving us a little bit of a foreshadowing of that which is even greater, which is the thing we're going to look, about, look at next week. And it's mentioned in verse 21. We're not going to focus on it today. Is he has, in fact, the capacity, the ability to give life to those who are dead. You will see even greater things than these. You've already seen the blind see, the lame walk, the le- those who have leprosy be cured, the, the deaf now can hear, then the dead are raised to life. I have the same capability, I have the same capacity. Whatever my father can do, I can do. Whatever he does, I do. I'm equal with the father. Secondly, not only does he have the same capability as the father, but he actually has the same authority as, as the Father. So think of it this way. This is the, the question of capacity or capability was the question of what can he do. This is the question of what may he do. Look at it. For, he, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, right? He has given the Son. He has empowered the Son to be in that place of judgment. Now, to the Orthodox Jew, God alone was the judge of the whole earth, as we learn in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. And Paul, when he's speaking in Athens in Acts chapter 17, says this, uh, referring to Jesus. He's giving his speech to the, to the philosophers there at Areopagus. By the way, interesting little fun fact about Areopagus. Many of you know that it was kind of like a legal council that existed in ancient Athens. And you know what kind of cases they handled? Well, they handled important stuff like homicides. They handled um, important stuff like arson. You know what else? The misuse of olive trees, which I found kind of a fun fact in some internet. I guess that just points to how important olive trees were to the economy and the dietary needs. I love myself a good olive oil too. Anybody else out there, right? Could you do some olive oil and hummus right now? A little pita bread, maybe some chicken on the side. I'm ready for lunch, right? So those people, those who adjudicated over those important matters of of deliberate homicide, arson, and of course the abuse of olive trees, he was speaking to them one day, and this is what he said to them in uh, Acts uh, chapter 17, verse, uh, verse 30. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, and that's what he's trying to drive those philosophers to do, to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice, with justice by the man he has appointed. Who is that man he has appointed? Who is the one that he has given? It's given to his son, the one who is equal with the father. So he, he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him, that man, from the dead. So not Jesus is saying, again... Why do they want to kill him? Why are they working hard to eliminate him from the scene, the the Jewish leaders? Because he's saying, I have the same capability as the Father. I have the same authority as the Father. And the third thing is, I even have the same status as the Father. Look at verse 23. He does this, Jesus says, gives me that authority to judge. He does this so that all people will honor the Son as they honor the Father. Now, what's a key feature of Jewish theology? 
in Jesus' day, and even to today, there is one who is worthy of honor and worship, God himself. So when Jesus says he does this so that all people will honor the Son as they honor the Father, he's saying, I have the same status. The word honor is the word tamao, which means to revere, to venerate, to honor. It's the word that's used in the New Testament that refers to the Old Testament commandments, honor your father and your mother. And Jesus actually uses it in Mark chapter 7 when he, uh, when he quotes uh, something that Isaiah said. So when Jesus was, uh, was confronted by the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, he replies to them as they're upset with him because um, his disciples aren't washing their hands in the proper way, right? And Jesus says to him in verse 6, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me, tamao, these people honor me, revere me, venerate me, in a sense worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their, teaching, their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus is saying here about himself that the same way your complete honor, allegiance, and, and veneration, the way in which you revere the Father, that is the same status that I have. I am equal with the Father. That's the case that John is trying to build for his readers. That's what John wants us to understand today. So if Jesus has the same capability as the Father, if Jesus has the same authority as the Father, if Jesus has the same status as the Father, what is he calling us to do? To submit to his lordship. That's why we represent it here at Calvary as we are here to help people become followers of him who said, follow me. We want to help people follow Jesus together. That's exactly what we want to do. Not because it just sounds like a, 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 a kind of a good little phrase, but instead because we recognize that Jesus has co-equality with the Father. That's what he's calling from us today. Have you recognized that his capability is, God, is God's capability himself? Have you recognized, according to what John is teaching, that he is the one who will ultimately stand in that place of judgment for all of us where his righteousness, if we receive it, allows us to have eternal life and not eternal punishment? Do we recognize that the status that he should have in your life is one that God himself should have? What does that mean for our everyday lives? I think it means that it's something that we build our whole life on, the way that we handle our time, the way that we deal with relationships, the way we deal with our money, the way we we handle everything else in our life. If we understand that Jesus is who he said he is, he can do what he said he could do, and that he will ultimately be the one who comes in the way that he said he would return, then it should change everything about our entire beings. This equality with the Father is such a key aspect for us to understanding why it is that we submit ourselves to Jesus. Why do we heed his call when he says, follow me? Why do we heed Paul's call when he says, be imitators of me as I imitate 
Christ Jesus. Not just because Jesus was a good guy and kind of a teacher who wowed people, or even that he was a miracle worker, but because he himself is God in the flesh. That's what we believe. That's what we've staked our lives on. To wrap up our service today, the worship team is going to lead us in a couple of songs of worship. Uh, And as they do that, I pray that uh, it would be with that heart of reverence and heart of veneration and heart of worship that you you affirm uh, to God all these things that Jesus says about himself. And so as they're coming uh, on stage, as you can see, to lead us in those couple of songs, why don't you stand with me? Uh, I'm going to pray, and then they'll lead us in those two closing songs, okay? Thanks, Emma. Father God, again, how we thank you for this message that comes from John to us today, because we know it ultimately didn't come from John's mind or heart. It came from your heart. And you used that man in the ancient world to capture these words of Jesus himself that very clearly and distinctly claim equality with you. We pray, God, that we would surrender to that truth, that we would understand that Jesus is your son, and as your son, he is God himself, God in the flesh. May we, Lord, submit to that and surrender to that, and may we, may we understand, God, that it, it, it's not just a, a, a human teacher, even a very powerful and charismatic human teacher that we're submitting to, but we're submitting to the Godhead. We're submitting to the triune God when we're following Jesus as Savior and Lord. Help us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth in this very moment and burn into our hearts this important aspect of our faith that you, Heavenly Father, and your Son are one. We worship the one true God, the three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy, and God the Holy Spirit.